All right, great to see your faces. Take your Bibles or your device, whatever you have. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, before we do that, let me say hello to the other Biltmore Church campuses. We got a bunch of good stuff coming up. Uh, we don't do a whole lot, by the way, of what we call attractional things like big events and all that kind of stuff, but we do have one coming up in the next week, and uh, it's called Family Fun Fest, and there's actually four of them uh, in four different counties where we have campuses. And so, if you want to have some information on that, uh, then go to billboardchurch.com backslash fun. All right, that's got to be the awesome, most awesome link, just backslash fun, and you can see where that is. Uh, those of you I'm talking to right now with Arden, I believe it's actually next Saturday out here on the ball field. So, all right, make sure that you uh, do that. We don't do that just so you can sugar up and uh, have all the candy, although there's like billions of pieces of candy. It's also to invite your neighbors and uh, Get them around some good Christian people just like the folks around you, all right? Uh, also, got some folks watching online. Doug from Arden, no good church for you, Doug, if uh, you're looking for one. Anna and Jonathan from Charlotte, and Reese and uh, Jenna from Castle Rock, Colorado. Thank you very much, Castle Rock. You guys got the big mountains, and we got the mountains that lull you to sleep and make you feel better uh, about yourself. So all that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we are in the year of the Bible uh, and it providentially, I mean, we live in a time, I think everybody would understand, particularly the last, not just two years, but I would say, I mean, the last two years have arguably been the most divisive two years in the last 50 years. I mean, we are, as a country, you can see the division, whether it be racially, uh, politically, scientifically, I mean, you, you don't have to turn on the news for five minutes to see that there is a ton of division. Now, Segue to if you go back, there's a there's a, a show that has been on for years. I don't think it's still on, but depending on your age, it was used to be hosted by a guy named Richard Dawkins. I think, uh, or, uh, now it's Steve Harvey, and it's Family Feud. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that. Okay, all right. Now then, you all know what's about to happen. What they would do is they would. They would basically have these two families, and they would say, "All right, we surveyed 100 people, and the top five answers are on the board." And then they would. They would pair off and see who would uh, see who would win. So we did the same thing. We asked 100 people, what is it that divides people today, particularly? What is it that divides not just people in general, but Christians in particular? And here are the top five answers on the board. Answer number five, personal preferences. Again, it's like, I like this, you don't like that. It's not, you know, I, would, I want my preacher to have a coat and tie. I like our guys in flip-flops. Whatever that is, just personal preferences, styles, that, that definitely has uh, caused some issues in churches over, over the last particularly 20 years. All right, number four is racism. All right, racism. While we looked a few weeks ago that the Christian movement is without a doubt the most diverse movement in all of human history that has no geographical center. You've got believers everywhere from Asia uh, to Europe to the West. You've got all of that. It is still obviously an enormous issue, and especially of racial reconciliation. We've taught on it a number of times out of, uh, out of Ephesians, out of the book of Acts. Obviously still an issue. Number three, is sexuality, and that is a broad subject as well. Sexuality, gender, uh, male, female, uh, sanctity of marriage, all of that, that uh, little bit of divisiveness around about that. And number two, <laughs> all things COVID, all right? You can fill in the blank for like the next 60 minutes on all things COVID. And when you say all things COVID, you're like, what do you mean? I mean like vaccines. I mean like masks. I mean like, you know, what is the church going to do? I mean like, are, you know, are you bowing to government pressure? Or what, you know, what about medical tyranny? Okay, all of that. All right. I've gotten emails that have said, I had actually 
number of emails, and you guys are sweet, but I mean, the one that stood out is it, within the same, like, 10 minutes, one of them was like, we're so angry that you're making it. And we've been in, we were in it like 18 months, but you made us wear a mask. And then literally the next email I read is like, I can't believe you're not wearing us wear a mask. And so I was like, all right, all things COVID. So uh, Jimmy Crack Corn. Number, uh, number one, and number one is, <laughs> number one is politics. It's politics. Uh, and you can fill in the blank on that. It's like, this is the politician I like, or I voted for such and such. And the, and, and, and the, Again, in the God's providence, we're going to look at a church today that was founded by the Apostle Paul that argued over virtually all of those things. Uh, if you have been with us, we spent like six weeks in the book of Acts until J.D. last week had a message in the book of Romans. We spent six weeks in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. It's 30 years of how the church and the movement just flourished. And one of the turning points is in Acts chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul, he is converted the number one enemy of the early church gets converted, and then God sends him out to go win, it goes town to town, village to village, and he would win people to Christ, he'd preach, win them to Christ, and then oftentimes he would found a congregation, he would birth a local church right there in that town, and then he would go to the next one. Well, in about Acts chapter 18, he goes into a young, hip, cool city by the name of Corinth. And he preaches the gospel, he wins people to Christ, and then he, le- then he founds a church there in a city called Corinth. And then he stays with them for 18 months as kind of like their first pastor. And so he pastors them for a year and a half, and then he goes on and, and, and leaves it in good hands. He left good leadership, he left some good people there, but then he hears that they're not doing that well. I don't know if he's looking at their Facebook post or their Instagram feed or whatever it is, and he's like, man, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on there. They got like theological confusion, sexual confusion, they're arguing over politics, all this stuff is going on, and so hence he writes a letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. And when you look at 1 Corinthians, if you're not new to Bible study, Uh, When you think of 1 Corinthians, you think, man, that is like the capital of confusion. That church is jacked up. And in many ways it is. I mean, it's got gossip. It's got theological confusion, division. But because the church is people and people have problems, the church is always having to confront some kind of issue. And you can see it really as the letter begins. He says, okay, I'm writing to the saints at Corinth, and they are in Christ and yet in Corinth. And that therein is the tension. Your address is Corinth, a town. It's the secular part. you got to live there, but you're also in Christ, and that's the spiritual part. And so the tension comes is how do we live as spiritual people in a secular society? And they were arguing, and sometimes the church doesn't do great at that. I think the old preacher used to say, I don't don't think it ever became a hymn or a song, but it was basically a little ditty that said, you know what, to dwell above with saints I love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with some of the saints that I know, now that is a different story. And his whole point was like, man, heaven's going to be great. But right down here, it gets kind of it gets kind of problematic at times. And before we jump in the text, let me introduce this part too. Tim Keller put it great. He said, two different churches have two different kinds of issues. And Biltmore Church, I'm going to share what we have. Because different kinds of churches have different kinds of problems. He said, one kind of church has what he calls living problems. And those are churches that are reaching people with the gospel. And they, when, he, when they reach unchurched people with the gospel, those unchurched people bring in all of their unchurched stuff 
and baggage and politics and everything, and they bring all of that into a church. And so when all these new believers come in, it's like a nursery a nursery, meaning you got babies in there, it's full of joy, it's full of happiness, but it's quite messy. In the same way, when you have a church, we've seen thousands of people baptized in the last four years. Thousands of people. And most of them are adults that come in here, many of whom don't have any church background at all. And so when they come in, it ends up like, how do we live together in unity? Uh, this is, we're not alone. The church at Philippi, if you were here when we looked at Acts 16, you saw that the start of that church, it started off with a CEO businesswoman, and then you added to that a slave girl who was trafficked, and you add to that a former military, hard-nosed, blue-collar, F-150 driving worker, and all of a sudden, that is the, those are the charter members of the church at Philippi. And yet it was super healthy. And so... The other kind of problem is what he calls dying problems. In a church like this, not really making a big impact, uh, they're not really winning a lot of people to Christ, and so they've got different kinds of problems because there everybody shares the same political party, so there's no division there. Everybody is the same ethnicity, so you've got no cultural problems to work through. Uh, everybody's similar income levels, so the rich don't have to learn how to live with the poor, and the poor don't have to learn how to live with the rich. And my, 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 his point is this. If you look the same, vote the same, act the same, you're not like a church, but you're more like a Christian country club. And loved ones, I would just say this. What, uh, what we've seen the last four or five years, the living problems, we've got to ask the question, how do we stay? How, do we, how are we united in the gospel? Because this should be our time. In a country that is divided, this should be the church's time to say, listen, we can show how you unite around something much bigger than preachers or politics or preferences. We can unite around the cross of Jesus. The question is, how does that happen? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12 gives us one of two principles. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Chloe is probably an early church leader. She might have been that CEO businesswoman, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. Or I follow Christ. Principle number one. Now, let me, let me, I'm going to try to be as precise as I can, and you listen as precisely as you can, but there's a good chance you will be offended today by something, and that's okay. And if you're offended by something, I do want to hear, but you got to chapter and verse it, all right? This is not, let's just kind of go around the little ring around the rosy. Let's be real easy. There's going to be some things that you're like, I can't believe you said that in church. But the first one would be this. Divide, divide around the primary or over the primary, but you discuss the secondary. You can divide over those things that you and I are called as believers to hold very tightly. We hold those things unapologetically and tightly, and yet we've got to be open-handed over the things that are secondary, primary, secondary. And when you look at this text, go down to verse 10, and here's the phrase. He says, be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Some of your translations say the same conviction. Now listen to me carefully. He is not saying 
He is not saying that you agree on everything. He is not saying that everything is equally important. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that when it comes to the primary things, don't let the secondary things like personalities and politics and preferences fragment the church. In this passage, in this book, in many of Paul's writings, you gotta understand he is not afraid to confront. He is not afraid to have conflict over the primary issues. So this is not like, oh, just everybody believe what they wanna believe. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying you guys all agree. As a matter of fact, if you look at Romans 14, he actually says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. That means there's some things that it's perfectly fine for you to have some super strong convictions over, super strong opinions over. He just says, when you do it, make sure that you do so understanding what is secondary and what is primary. And he says, you agree on those things that are primary. For example, he tells the Galatian Christians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You've actually left the whole gospel. He tells these Corinthians, he says, listen, there's a bunch of sexual sin in your church and you're actually applauding it? It's like, stop that. That's wrong. Don't do that anymore. So in this, he's going to say there's some things we have to agree on that we stay close-fisted on, if you will. You're like, what are those things? There's not a thousand of them, but there are things like the person and work of Jesus like the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, like the authority of the Bible, like salvation by grace through faith, like the sanctity of life and marriage, like the fact that God did make us male and female. But he says divisions, secondary issues, those are for discussion, not for dividing. And so the Corinthians, they had all these people that came from pagan backgrounds, and then they're like, how do we figure this out? How do we figure this out? So the Corinthians, they had issues as well. Because they came from these pagan backgrounds, they had issues about everything from diet to special days to how they would worship. Some of them are like, man, that is totally out of control. And other ones are like, you got to stay a little more Jewish. You got all these issues going on. And again, uh, it's fine to discuss them. He's saying, don't divide the church over it. So the example Paul uses, we're just a Bible... I'm what's called an expositional preacher, which means I'm just going to work through a text and I'm going to try to use the examples that they use. And so the example the apostle Paul uses, in this case, it's not politics. He does it a different place. It's not even preferences. He does that a different place. You know, believe it or not, what he does here is he does preachers. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain these four categories and then make the application for today. Because here's what he says. He says, you got one group and they're like, I'm a Paul. And you got another group that's like, I'm of Apollos. You got another group that says, I love Peter. And then you got the Jesus Jude crowd and they're like, well, I just love Jesus. And so let me explain them. The I love Paul crowd. I mean, Paul, it's like Paul. It's like super deep theologian. I mean, he's the one that wrote a ton of letters in the New Testament. And he typically goes very deep. He wrote 1 Corinthians, but he also wrote like Romans, Romans. Romans 9 to 11 as well, that's about as deep as you get. And so the guys that are saying, you know what, Paul, he's our founding pastor. I'm a charter member of this deal. And he goes super deep, and I love that. Other people might have said, Paul, yeah, he's a pretty good theologian, but he's kind of boring. All right, you know, I heard last time he was preaching, 
as he was preaching, some guy was in the windowsill and Paul was so boring, the guy fell asleep and fell down and died. I mean, that's how boring Paul is. And by the way, Paul actually kind of says that of himself in 2 Corinthians. He's like, I'm super strong when I write and I'm a little bit weaker when I preach. But those people are like, I like deep. Then you got Apollos. Apollos was the guy that followed Paul at this church. So a lot of people are like, I like our first preacher. And then this guy's like the follow-up guy, but apparently this guy was like an awesome orator. And that went a long way in a city like Corinth who had these people called sophists. Sophists were paid orators that would go into Corinth, started in Athens, but then they went over to Corinth, and they would basically go into town, they would oil themselves up, I know that's kind of weird, but then they would get in front of people and they would just start speaking, and man, they could pull those heartstrings, just pull them convince you of anything, throw a subject out. They were paid, they were paid speakers. And they're like, man, I like Apollos. Apollos really moves me. And sometimes Apollos would get off a little bit theologically and they would have to come over and correct him. Then you got Cephas, you got Peter. Now we don't really know what the deal with, why were they saying I'm following Peter? Maybe it was like, you know, that category that's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not always right, but I'm never without an opinion. You know what? I have an opinion and I'm sure of it. I just don't know what I'm talking about. That's sometime, that's Peter. But then you got, then you got, this is the one that you got to love. It's like, I'm not a Paul or Apollos or Peter. It's like, I'm of Jesus. I mean, I hate those guys. I'm sorry, I don't hate them. I struggle with those guys. Those are the Jesus juke guys. You all not know what a Jesus juke is? Okay, okay, all right. Here's a Jesus juke. This is your, this is your slang lesson for the day. Okay, a Jesus juke. Think of a football juke. Football juke, if you got the ball, you're running, somebody's trying to tackle you, you fake one way, you, you juke them out. That's, what, that's a juke. And so I think around, I think it was Acuff in 2010, he said, okay, there's a Jesus juke. A Jesus juke, um, that'd be an example. Like, let's just say you're talking to one of your buddies about weightlifting. And you're like, man, I've really dedicated myself, and I benched more today. I benched, man, I benched more today than I've ever benched before. You're just talking like normal dudes. You're just talking, and you're like, man, I dedicated myself. I benched more, and then Yoho over here, he just goes, well, you can imagine how far you'd be along with the Lord if you dedicated yourself to the Bible. That's, that's a Jesus juke. You're like, hey, we're talking about Gold's Gym, and now we're talking, what? And that's a Jesus juke. And that's what this guy is like. You guys like Peter. You guys like Paul. You guys like Apollos. We're just sticking with Jesus. Just Jesus and me, that's all we need. You're like, are those people still here in church? They are. They are. Let me, uh, let me give you a couple. Let me, let me apply that. Here's the, here are the Paul guys. And I'm going to, if, if, uh, if you're offended by these things, it's purely, it's purely convictional. All right. So number one would be, number one would be the gotta go deep guys. God, this is so good for my soul just to get this out. All right. It's just, uh, it's the gotta go deep guys, the gotta go deep guys. It's all about theological depth. And you love it when I use a Greek word or a, you know, if I say something like doulos or uh, you're like, use it again, use it again. Or if I use a big word like expiation or propitiation, you're like, I love, I love that. Or if he texts, he's like, that's the present tense or the aorist tense. You're like, I love it when you do that. Now listen, because uh, you you like you love that. And you're like, just, you know, just talk to us about 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John. You know, John Calvin, John Piper, or John MacArthur. If you just talk to us about that, that in and of itself is awesome. Now listen, I understand that because I can kind of go down that trail easily. Listen, I can. Just kind of my makeup, not growing up in church. I mean, obviously, I mean, I like studying and all that kind of stuff. The temptation. And we're obviously the shepherd is supposed to feed the sheep. So don't write me. It's like, oh, you're just trying to stay shallow. No, not at all. I would say... 
all of these are good part, and we certainly try to disciple. But the temptation for the, you got to go deep, guys, is a misunderstanding of got to go deep. Because what you gravitate toward, your tendency is to be arrogant and selfish. Because honestly, going deep into the gospel should lead you to the other side. It ought to lead you to selflessness and humility. My experience has been they got to go deep, and you didn't go deep enough. and you didn't. It's like you're arrogant and you're selfish. Because you're arrogant, you're thinking the more you know, the better you are than other people. And you don't understand that, you know what, actually going deeper into the gospel is you laying down some of your rights, not picking up some of your rights. You're like, yeah, I love to, I want to hear about, you know, Philippians 2 and how Jesus emptied himself, and I love that part of that, and yet you don't empty yourself for the people who are less mature than you. And um, you get to, uh, you don't understand the church in some ways is the mature people are the ones that are laying down their rights for the less mature people. That's what the Bible teaches Think about it this way. Elsie Grace stays at our house on Monday and Wednesday. Lori takes care of her. And so when Elsie Grace was able to actually start walking a month or two ago, well, what did we do immediately with the house? Everything on a coffee table was taken up that could hurt her. Every sharp object, every heavy weight, everything was like put up there. Now the question, is there anything wrong with having heavy, sharp objects on a coffee table in your home? Of course not. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you do is you inconvenience yourself for the betterment of the baby. You actually say, you know what, I'm laying down my rights to have this stuff on the coffee table because I'm actually going to love my brother as myself. That's what I'm doing. And so the tendency, just be careful, go deep, guys, is again, we're gonna go deep and I like going deep and all that is just understand bottom line is the deeper you go is really not just about how many Greek words you know or can you do the tense or do you like talking about eschatology or the finer points of soteriology or all that stuff. That's not it. What you're really trying to say is you're about as deep as the last person you served. And so the arrogance is, again, this is not everybody. The tendency is to just, you know, go from here to this podcast to that preacher to this guy over here and you never actually dig in into a local church and change diapers. You never do that. Because you don't understand going deep in the gospel is going deep in serving other people. And the best way your walk accelerates is by helping somebody else discover their walk. You never discover that. All right, I'm better now. Let me go to the number two guy, okay? Uh, this is the got to feel it guy. Got to feel it guy. This preacher gives me the feels, man. And Apollos was very charismatic. And you're like, come here, my preacher. And I'm, I, I, I'm flattered when you say, hey, you got to come here, my preacher. He didn't speak KJV. And I like that. But bottom line, listen to me carefully. What this shows us is celebrity has always been a part of the Christian church. It's always been there. There's always been leaders who, for whatever reason, have got some exposure, and they impact your life, and they help your spiritual growth. And it's accelerated now with social media and technology, and people can watch from Charlotte or people can watch from wherever. And so it's accelerated. And listen to me. There's not, you're, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to say, that's wrong. It's always been there. Always been there. I mean, first church I pastored was Blue Grove Baptist Church. Population, 180 people in that town. Now, 125 of them went to our church. And so in that case, I was kind of popular in that town, but you only had 180 people. True story, they just got their first stoplight. You all think I'm making it, making it up. It, it's true. They just got it. I saw it on Facebook. They ju- it has to be true. They just, got, they just got their first one. And so here's the idea. Love, love leaders that pour into you. Learn from them. That's fine. 
Just do not be dependent on them. Because here's the truth, no matter what person feeds you the most, and again, it's fine to have that. Fine to have podcasts, fine to listen to all these. We got more access to more good and bad, but more good preaching than anybody in the history of the world right now. But just realize every single preacher that you're like, I got to hear that guy. Every single one of them is in the interim. Every single interim, every single preacher is in the interim. Everyone. Now, I'm not saying, no, they're just going to stay or, you know, somebody's leaving tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, learn from them, love them, respect them, but don't depend on them totally. Because the only one that's not an interim is Jesus, and those preachers are supposed to be pointing you to Jesus. Because, uh, if you're like, I like your style. Well, you know what? Bottom line is, I'm either going to die. One, I am going to die one day, or I'm going to go to the old preacher home and, you know, be that cranky old preacher at some point. And then some other guy's going to come in here. Bottom line is, learn, love, but don't be totally dependent on. And there's, there's the other guy. This is okay. Look at verse 13. And this is again. Uh, we're not going to spend as much time on the second point, but verse 13 says. I love the way Paul, Paul is so humble. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? In other words, did I hang on a cross for you? Don't be, on, don't be a fanboy to me. He's like, I didn't hang on a cross for you. He said, were you baptized in the name of Paul? All those are like, no. And so you're like, what's the deal with, what's the deal with Peter guy? I'm just going to call him agenda, agenda guy. All right, now listen to me. Don't get upset necessarily, unless it hits. But agenda guy, agenda guy. There's some predictable agendas that, again, we don't know. Peter was like, this is my opinion, and I don't, I don't even know if I can back it up with facts, but I'm always going to talk about it and be sure about it. And I'm just telling you, agendas come into church, just so you understand. And here's some things we've tried to lay out over the years to make sure that do not happen. It's one of the things God's blessed here. Some of them are not that nefarious. Some of them are like doctrinal agendas, finer points of certain kinds of theology, scaffolding you want to put on the Bible. And our deal is, listen, don't push, don't push that and don't say, if you don't believe the scaffolding I put on the Bible, then you're not faithful. All right? On the majors, we're going to hold very tightly conservative theology. On the minors, we're going to show some degree of discussion and tolerance, and we can agree to disagree on the minor stuff. And then all those things, we're going to show some love. And here's another one, uh, business agendas. All right, let me just let it out. Back. Business agendas are not welcome uh, at our church. Okay, I want, we want your businesses to thrive. They need to flourish. That's part of what God has done for you, the platform God has for you. But don't bring the multi-level, don't look at church as a target-rich environment for your multi-level whatever. All right? The only product that the church has, his name is Jesus, and he's a person, and he's free. All right, So don't come, I mean, no, don't, that's fine, but don't pass out the cards and don't put them on the windshields. That's not what we're about. Let your business flourish, but this is not the place to push your business. And uh, here's another one, um, uh, political. Here's an old political flyers on the parking lot. Uh, okay, here's the deal. You have our permission. If somebody, 
Are we going to preach? We've talked about politics before. Are we going to preach biblical issues? Yes, we are, unapologetically. But here's one of the things I've learned about politics and politicians. And one of my brother's a politician up in Texas, by the way. There is no pure politician. There is no pure politician. So we can speak the biblical truth in a hundred different ways. But if you get some flyer underneath your windshield out in the parking lot, you have our permission to litter, all right? You just have our permission to litter. And you're like, well, how do you vote? You probably could guess the way that I vote, all right? Probably can guess. Bottom line is this. We're going to try to, we want to look at politics from a biblical worldview, certainly. But as far as this candidate or that candidate or endorse such and such, we don't do that. You know, you know one of the reasons we don't do that is because we have a certain amount of bandwidth and we want to spend that bandwidth on the gospel. So when they think of our church, they're not thinking about this politician or that politician. They're thinking about that church is about the gospel. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. That's what, we're, that's what we push. We push that unapologetically. Um, that's probably enough of that. Uh, let me just, let's go to, uh, let me just do one more. There's the, the Jesus juke guy, the I follow Christ. Because this, this, is, this is a pandemic in, from the pandemic. The I follow Christ is just, you know, it's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Just me and my Bible. It's all I need. Just me and my Bible. I just, just me and Jesus alone. And I'm not sure if that's arrogance or ignorance it, or a combination thereof. Because if you say it's just me and Jesus, that same Jesus said, hey, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That same Jesus said, this is my body, the local church. 95% of the time the word church is used in the Bible. It's not the universal invisible church. It's a local church with a bunch of, you got, you got a bunch of flawed people. It's a local church. It's like, you know what? That's my bride. That's my bride. And yes, she's messed up, but we are perfecting her, getting her ready for our wedding day. And so you're like, well, I don't need the church. I don't need the church. I don't need, you do. You do. If you're saying you don't, it's arrogance or it's ignorance because Jesus said you need the church. So, like, how do I push this into practice? Last three verses. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then verse 16 is kind of like a senior moment because look what he says. I did baptize also the household of Stephanos, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anybody else. That's funny. He's like, well, I didn't baptize anybody except, you know, Crispus and Gaius. And well, there was this other, he's like, well, there was this other one as well. And then verse 17 is the gist of it. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom like the sophist and so convincing and alliterated, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross the logos, the word of the cross, the gospel, it is folly. Folly there means moronic. It's where we get our word moronic from. It's Mariah is the word, moronic. It's folly. It's foolishness. The message of the cross is in a world today is like, are you telling me that the most important event in all of human history is that a Jew died on a stick 2,000 years ago for the sin debt of the entire world and then got put in a into the dirt or into the tomb and then came up three days later. You're telling me of all the technological advances, of all the stuff we've got, we got cars driving themselves right now. Are you telling me that that is the most important event in human history? And what we as a church say is like, it did happen. It absolutely not only did happen, but he can change your life. That is our story. And some people will say foolishness. And it's always been that way. I put up a graffiti from the first century in Rome one time where they had 
they had, it's, it's, the subtitle is Alexamenos worships his God. Alexander worships his God. And it's a guy kneeling before the cross, and there's a person on the cross being crucified with the head of a donkey. And the whole point was, they're like, that's foolishness that you're going to worship a crucified Savior. But that's exactly what we say. And so the goal would be this, is when it comes to any of these areas, we want to see through, I'm just going to say see through a gospel lens. The Bible Project, which is on a lot of that year of the Bible stuff, a lot of that year of the Bible stuff is just resource after resource, but probably one of the best stuff is this stuff by the Bible Project, and I think they're the ones that said this. They basically said, you name whatever issue you have in your life. Application and faith in the gospel is the actual answer to that. Whatever issue it is you have, if you can kind of look at it through a gospel lens, all of a sudden you will see the root issue of it. And you're like, that's, 100, that's actually the Apostle Paul's prescription on virtually everything. For example, take marriage. Some of you are like, man, our marriage is really struggling. You know, we can go see a biblical counselor, and that's awesome. And they can give you three steps to a better marriage or six steps to more intimacy or whatever it is. Or, and that can last for like a couple of weeks or maybe help you and maybe put a Band-Aid on the bleeding, whatever it is. Or you can actually look at the gospel and look at like, because every time God says do something, it's already based on what he's already done. Husbands love your, Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. So what's he doing? He's like, husbands, love your wife. Well, that's the, you know, that's the imperative. Do something. The indicative, the why. Why? Because Jesus loved the church. In other words, Jesus loved you that way, so you let that translate in the way you love your wife. He was patient with you, you be patient with her. You can just do this over and over and over again. He's like, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Second Corinthians says, listen, as Jesus became poor for your sake so that you can become rich through his poverty, so you and I, when we do this big give coming up in December where we're going to try to make sure we minister to thousands of needy families in five different counties, you can sit there and go, that's not my part. I'm not going to play my role in that. Or you can look at it through the lens of the gospel and say, you know what? God was generous with me, so I want to be generous with other people. God was gracious to me in the gospel, so I'm going to be gracious to other people. So whether it be money, whether it be love, whether it be uh, whatever, um, that's the way the church is supposed to be. And here's what he said. It says, if it's not that, the cross is going to be emptied of its power. So here's the way I would say this. The church, uh, I actually heard the Reverend Dusty Baker say something similar to this a few nights ago when my Houston Astros went ahead and not cheating. They, they, won the, they won the pennant in the American League, and they will play somebody. Um, they'll play some, playing somebody. Okay, so let me, let me put this. He said, he goes, you only get this. He was talking about the emotion and the oneness. He's like, you get this in two places. You get this in sports, and he said, you get this in church. So let me, let me tease that out for a second. Here at the end of this next week, there's going to be the, it'll be game number three. Because if you didn't hear about it, spoiler alert, the Braves won last night, and so they're in the World Series. Atlanta Braves are in the World Series, and game three and four is going to be down in Atlanta. So I can tell you, I'm going to prophesy what's going to happen in game three. You're going to put 50,000 people, 40,000 people in that stadium, and they will be from all different walks of life. There will be black people, there will be white people, there will be Hispanic people, there will be rich people, there will be poor people, there will be PhDs, there will be GEDs. There will be every different walk of life. But when the Braves are playing, 
or if Freddie Freeman knocks one over the center field fence, they will start to high five and hug each other like they are on the same team. They will spill beer on each other like they're on the same team. They will chest bump. It's like, yeah, and they'll do the tomahawk. They'll do all that stuff like they know each other and they don't know each other. But what that is illustrative of is the fact that, you know what, all of our differences, all of our differences are submissive to the greater goal of we are Atlanta Brave fans. As a church, that's what's supposed to happen. We got all these issues, and they're not, they're not in. I mean, there are some decently big issues. I'm not saying they're not. But what you're saying is those are submissive to the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel in Western North Carolina and beyond. And we might vote different, and we might look different, and we might dress different, but bottom line, if I'm a Christ follower and I've repented and said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, then we're on team Jesus. And what you have to understand is I got other people on the team, and they're different than me. And we can discuss a ton of secondary issues, but we are going to agree and we're going to focus on the main ones. Because what he says is, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, this is what the world needs. The world needs to look at a church that says, man, bottom line is those people, I mean, they're overwhelmed with Jesus and all those other differences that they have, all those other, they had the one commonality is they were lost and now they're saved. They were dead, but God made them alive. And you can do it, not because you're so awesome, but because as the text says, it says what? And some of you kind of, wait a minute, that sounds wrong. It says that those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And some of you are going, wait a minute, being saved? I thought we were saved. Two-minute theology lesson. The Bible uses the term saved three different ways. The first two would be this one. Sometime it is that past tense. Well, most of the time it's that past tense. We read the scripture. You're what? Saved by grace through faith. Okay? The theological term would be justification. There was a point in time where you experienced the grace of God, you repented of sin and embraced Jesus by faith. At that moment, you were justified in God's judicial eyes, and he says, you know what, not guilty. He looks at you, not because you're not guilty, but because Jesus is not guilty, and Jesus is innocent, and yet you're in Christ. That's why he could tell these Corinthians who were jacked up, verse 1, that he could call them saints. Not because they did a bunch of great stuff to become saints, it's because positionally they were in Christ. That's being saved. But there's a second part. That's justification. The second part we just call sanctification, which means this. It means you and I are still in process. We are still under construction. That God takes the Spirit of God and the Word of God and begins to chisel stuff away and hammer stuff away that doesn't look much like his son at all. And some of that is division. Some of that is pettiness. Some of that is pride. All that stuff, he just chips away at that. But it can happen. It's like that's the deal. And he starts off with saying you're not the person you used to be. That's why we always talk about, we're talking about identity over and over and over again. It's like, you know what? You were lost and dead and estranged. Now you're saved and forgiven and adopted, all those things. But the bottom line is that's why we have to say not just the way you come to Jesus is actually surrendering to the gospel. What you did on that cross counted for me. You've got to make sure you've done that. I mean, again, we're here, and I've been doing this long enough time, and we're kind of hearing what's left of the Bible Belt. And I understand you can grow up in church and not be a Christian. You can be very religious and actually have never repented. And so make sure that you've repented. Repentance means to turn direction, change direction. And I was going my way, and I've actually changed direction, and I'm walking to Jesus. 
And what that means is a daily basis, even as a believer, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. It's like, you know what? Whatever you need to chisel out today, do that. If you hadn't read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, you need to read it. But here's one quote about surrender. He says, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents and money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here or there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, and all of your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart will become, will become your heart. So here's, here's, let me end it this way, in application. It's been a crazy 18 months for everybody. I think we can all agree on that. But in, in a divided world, in every way, it's like, dude, this, we were made for this. Church was made for this. But to be blunt, some of you are divided from another member in our church and if you've divided over them over a non-essential, you have. And you need to repent and reconcile today. Some of you don't, you're, you're watching at home because you're like, I'm not going into that church because they believe they did this or voted here or whatever. And you need to repent today. You need to just repent and reconcile if it was a non-essential issue. If I can even be more blunt, if this is your fourth church in five years, If the church leaves the gospel, leave the church. If the church leaves the Bible, leave the church. But if the church leaves neither the gospel or the Bible, there better be a really good reason to leave. And so let me go back. If this is your, if this is your fourth church, fifth church, five years or whatever, it might be a good thing to just look in the mirror. Because I can promise you it's not going to be very long. You're like, we think you're perfect. I can promise you that's going to last like four weeks. That's all it's going to last. So bottom line, it is uh, absolutely, let's agree on the primary. Let's agree. Divide if you have to. But on the secondary, humility, I'm sorry, reconcile. For some of you, this is like you're watching online, you're like you, you've fallen out of biblical community. And if it's a health issue, man, definitely still stay healthy. I know there's a hundred different scenarios. But a lot of times it's not a health issue. It's a it's a humility issue. It's a holiness issue. It's a habit issue. And you and your family, you're bearing the effects, just like we all did, especially early on. So let me do this. Why don't you bow your heads for a second. If you're at home, bow your heads as well, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It's one of those three things is where we are today. You know, have I repented and embraced Jesus? If not, man, that now is the time. If, you, if you're like, man, I'm not sure. I've been religious but I don't really sense there's been that justification. I don't think God has put his gavel of innocent over my life because of what Jesus has done. I'm not sure I'm in Christ. And man, get there now. Get there now. Don't roll the dice on this, hoping. Get there now. God, I want to turn from my sin. And just like what you did on that cross, that counted for me. It is finished. That counted for me. Father, I forgive them. They do not know what they do. That counted for me somehow. There's other things that just some division that has happened between you and another brother or sister. 
Not on the, not on the main stuff, on the non-essentials. Words have been said, actions have been taken. They don't glorify the Lord and they're not good for you. It's God's calling a lot of you to pick up that phone and shoot that text or hit your knees or see somebody in the lobby and say, man, I'm sorry, I made that a bigger deal than it needed to be. And others, I just need to say, God, I'm sorry that I've been arrogant enough to think I could do life on my own. Father, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the men and women that are here. Thanks for a church back 2,000 years ago that looks like we just took it right out of right out of our news feed. So God, I pray that you would see a people that have been humbled by the gospel, that are patient with each other, that hold to the gospel and hold to the main thing so tightly and faithfully. It's required of a steward that we be faithful. Help us to be faithful in that. Even if we're like the last people on the island, help us to be faithful to hold on. May God help us to have the discernment and the wisdom to not separate and divide and be fractured over the stuff that's not the main stuff. God, whether it's husbands or wives or neighbors or business partners or whatever it is, help us to humbly take your example about what kind of king you were and lay down the supposed rights that we sometimes just pick up and use to defend because the church was founded on you who laid down your rights. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.